Well, children, it is Family Sunday today, and so we're going to do it old style today. Miss Robin has, has prepped clipboards for you guys, so if you want to quickly run and grab your clipboards and then come back to sit with your parents. Bennett, Bennett, I think Harrison's already grabbed yours. There's clipboards at the back. And so as I was preparing this week, I just felt, you know, usually we would do a kid's message and we'd get involved with them, but this, there was just a bunch of things that were burning on my heart as I was looking at what was going on in the world around us. And so this morning, we're going to have a communion celebration service. Because I'm sure you don't live under a rock and you've probably heard nonstop all week of the coronavirus and the more and more I hear and I, I see the people are responding I think it's time for the church to stand up and be a source of peace because as I, I went to the grocery store on Friday afternoon you know usually when it's the quiet time and as I'm pulling in the parking lot is packed I go in and people are pushing double carts heaped up and over. The, the, the aisles are just like cleaned out. There was no dog food and we needed dog food. You know, it took, I had to go find some. And I'm just seeing more and more of the response. You see it in, in the news. You see it in see people's social media feeds and you're being able to see it in those around us right now. And the fact is that uncertainty breeds fear. People aren't sure what to expect and it's coming out in their irrationality in the way they're handling things. And as I was beginning to meditate on this on Thursday evening, as if they were shutting down the schools, and I was hearing of more and more businesses that were closing, and this has never been more true than when Paul, or P Paul said it to Timothy. God has not, everyone say has not, has given us a spirit of fear. That's not one of the gifts that he has given you. It's not one of your spiritual propensities that you have in your life. You know, some people like to think that they have the gift of judgment or the gift of suspicion, and some people like to operate in the gift of fear, and that's not one of the ones that comes from God. But he tells Timothy just a short list of things God has given us. He's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's the peace of God that flows out of us into the situations around us. You know, when Jesus was, a, was with his disciples and he said to them, we're going to the other side. And they got in a boat and they got moving. And while they were in the middle of the sea, a storm came up suddenly. And it began to rock the boat. It began to fill the boat with water. And the boat was starting to take on and sink. And the disciples began to react to the situation that was going on around them. And it came to the point that they went over and they see Jesus. What was Jesus doing? He was sleeping in the midst of a storm where the ship is going down. And they wake him up and they say, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus, you know, we often get this picture that he got up and was like, Peace, be still. 
But I believe with all my heart that he just went, peace, be still. And you can't release peace into a situation when you don't have peace on the inside of you. And if you're yielding to a spirit of fear that God has not given you, it will hinder you from being able to speak peace to what's going on in your life and the lives of those around them. So Paul says to Timothy, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And then he says, therefore, or because of what he has given you, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed to continue to spread the goodness of God. Don't be ashamed to continue to spread His peace. Don't be ashamed. Go ahead and speak the truth. When people are afraid they're going to be contracting the virus, you go ahead and just say, I believe my God protects me from all plagues. That if it touches my body, it dies. And Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of me, who was a prisoner at that point. And he says, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel or the good news. What is he talking about, share with me in the sufferings? Well, everyone else is freaking out. Trust me, you'll catch some flack when you're not. But that's okay. He says, for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and has called us with a holy calling. You know, that's one of the founding scriptures of this church. When we talk about wanting you to find your spiritual destiny, you need to understand what you've been saved from and called to. And when he uses that word saved, it's the word Greek word sozo, which its root means to be safe. And I want you to know that right now in the midst of the situation, you are safe with God. And it means to save, to keep safe and sound, and to rescue from danger and destruction. It means to save a suffering one from perishing. And I love how the Strongs gives examples, i.e., one suffering from disease. The word literally encompasses, if you are suffering from disease, the salvation of God saves you from that. I love that. So we're talking about what you've been saved from. You've been saved from suffering. It means to make well. It means to heal. It means to restore to health. So even if you've gotten sick, it's okay. The Spirit of God within you can restore you back to your position of health. So those are the things that you've been saved from, but what have you been called to? The word that he uses there is the word kaleo, which means to call by name. I love that God knows my name. Sometimes we can feel lonely. Sometimes we can feel forgotten. But God knows your name. Even beyond that, He even knows how many hairs are on your head or the lack thereof. (laughs) He knows everything that's going on in your life deeply and intimately. He knows you. But the second definition of kaleo means to give a name to someone. I was reading through that and I was like, I was reminded. That's right. It's not just that he knows my name. He's given me a name. And what is that name that he's given to us? The name of Jesus. And that's what we spent January and February talking about. 
He has called you out of these things that produce fear in others and has called you into the perfect wholeness and soundness that his name brings. When the name of Jesus is applied, things change. And so it says that he has called us, saved us, and he has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and his grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time was began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, this word when it says life, that's zoe, that's the God kind of life and the God quality of life. He has abolished death and brought you to God quality of life and experience. And the next one says life and immortality. And that sounds good when you say it. Oh yeah, immortality. We get to live forever with Jesus. But this is actually a mistranslation. The word there used is not the word for forever. Ionos would be forever. We, when we see that Jesus has come to give us life and life more abundantly, or zoe aionos, life forevermore continually. That's not what this word is. This is the word for incorruptibility. He has brought you to God quality of life and incorruptibility. And fear is trying to corrupt your actions in this time. Fear is trying to allow a disease to corrupt your body, but through Christ Jesus, you've been brought to God quality of life and incorruptibility. The name of Jesus. I don't believe that it's a mistake that as all this is go breaking loose in the world, what have we been dealing with for the last two months? The name of Jesus. Why? He was trying to prepare you ahead of time to give you the tools and the equipping that you would need for right now. As Paul told the Philippians, God has highly exalted him, meaning Jesus, and has given him a name which is above every name. That includes the name of coronavirus or whatever one you want to use. He is the name that is above that. As Paul told the Ephesians that Jesus has been raised up far above all principality and power, might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but that which is to come. So even if you look at it as natural ages, Paul said it covered his age and the one which is to come, which happens to be one that you're living in right now. So if Jesus has been raised up far above every name, that name of coronavirus has to bow to the name of Jesus. It currently lives under your feet because you've been raised up and made to sit together with him in heavenly places. Far above. And so as the world descends into irrationality and stupidity, I want you to remember you are far above. I love the story of John G. Lake when he was working during the time of the bubonic plague and everyone else is hiding in their rooms, hiding in their houses and he and his church began to go out and tend to the sick and the dead and remove the dead bodies and when the, the workers got to their area and saw that they had been doing this, they're like, how are you not getting sick? And he simply said to them, it can't live on me. The power of God inside of me is greater than any disease and any plague. And they didn't believe him. And he said, seriously, let's do this test. And so they put 
some of the poison that would come out of the bodies after they had died in the plague. They would foam out their last breath and they put some under a microscope and they saw the plague alive and moving and wanting to consume and then they put it on his hand under the microscope and watched it die. I don't think John was just using empty words when he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so in this time of uncertainty, in this time where the world is having a harsh response, we need to remember something simple as Psalm 91. I love what David wrote there. In verse 1 he says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So this is for people who choose to make their home and live their life under God. That is not everybody around us, though. But this is for you. And then he says in the next verse, This I declare about the Lord. Now let's jump back to last week's message when we were talking about authority. How did we say that authority is released? The centurion said to Jesus, I am also a man under authority. I say to this one, come, and I say to that one, go. I say to this one, do this, and he does it. How is your authority released? It's released through the words of your mouth and the spirit that's on the inside of you. It wants to rise up, and it wants to speak life. It wants to speak health. You need to let it do some speaking. A silent authority is an ineffective authority. And so David says, this is what I'll declare of my Lord. He alone is my refuge. He is my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue me from every trap and protect me from every deadly disease. says, he will cover me with his feathers, and he will shelter me with his wings. His faithful promises are my armor and protection. You notice there I'm personalizing it because when David was saying you, he was speaking to me. And so you go ahead and you put yourself in these verses. I like this verse here in verse 4. It brings us the picture of the protection of the mother bird. How it brings its little little chicks in and puts its wings around them and becomes a protection from the elements. And the wind can be blowing against the mother bird, but the little chickies underneath are just warm and cozy and protected. That's a picture of you and God. He shelters you under his wings, and the winds can blow and the storms can come, but you ride out protection under his wings. So it says, don't be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrow that flies in day. Do not dread the diseases that stalk in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but these evils will not touch you. This is important to remember. You live under the protection of God because of what you believe but there are many people in this world that don't. And things may have the potential to get pretty bad around us in the coming weeks. But what happens around you doesn't have to happen to you and in you. And so he said, a thousand at one side and 10,000 dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Next verse he says, only with your eyes 
shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Meaning you won't have to experience it, but you may see it. If you make the Lord your refuge, and if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, and no plague will come near your home. That's something you should put on your lips. No plague comes near my home. No plague comes near my home. If you think of the children of Israel when they were leaving Egypt, the final plague, God had them put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts so that when the angel of death came towards it, it saw the blood and moved on. Do you know what the enemy sees when he comes to your door? He sees the blood of Jesus on you that's been poured over your life, that has washed you white as snow. And it stands and stops and says, I better find somebody else. It says, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up in their hands so that you don't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras and you will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. You have to understand the imagery that's there. How does the Bible refer to Satan? As a roaring lion. How did he peer to Eve in the garden? As a snake. So he's not talking about you going to pick a fight with a physical lion. I saw a video a few weeks ago uh, it was somewhere overseas. It didn't say the, what zoo it was at. But a guy went right down and he stuck his arm into the lion cage and the lion grabbed his arm and bit right on it and was like, and trying to rip it off. And the guy's like, stop it, somebody stop it. I'm like, you are the moron that put your arm in there. <laughs> the reason why the enemy comes as a roaring lion, he's got no teeth to latch on to you. And all he can do is roar and make himself loud. And right now there might be a lot of roaring going on, but you have to remember he is under your feet. And so after David says all this, my favorite part of the chapter comes. God responds to him. Isn't that great when you call out to God? He answers. He listens. He responds. In verse 14 it says, And so the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble, and I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with long life, and I will give them my salvation. Hallelujah. That is just one of the most awesome chapters in all of the Bible. That when you put yourself under the authority of God, because you have to understand, in order to be in authority, you have to be under authority. When you submit yourself under God, you find yourself in His protection, and He lifts you up and exalts you. So this morning, we're going to have a communion celebration. And why do we call it a communion celebration? Because most people, when they take communion, they get all solemn. I have to be quiet. I have to think deeply. You know, that's not how we've been called to take communion. 
I like how Paul, when he's talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he starts off with correcting them. He's like, guys, when, when you have communion, you guys get a little wild. One is like stuffing his face and the other one's getting drunk. He's like, their communion times weren't these quiet, pious times. They were throwing massive parties. And so Paul had to bring a little bit of, bit of correction to them. But God wants you to be excited about what he's done for you. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup of the new covenant, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You call out, you speak out in your life the Lord's death because you have to understand that's where it begun. If God didn't die, then he didn't get raised up. And if he didn't get raised up, then neither did you. But because he died, went to the grave, killed the old nature, raised up, went to sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and brought you with him, therefore life flows to you when you remember the body and when you remember the blood. But a lot of where we get caught up is in the next verse. In verse 27 it says, Therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner... (laughs) will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Well, what does it mean to be unworthy? The root word there that gets used is unfit, meaning you've put it into a place that it doesn't belong. It's kind of like that little kid's toy that most kids when they're little babies have. Is they, it's a little ball and it's got a triangle and it's a square and it's a circle and you can't fit the triangle into the circle. It only goes where it's supposed to be. When it comes to the body and the blood of Jesus, you apply it in the right place. And that is over your life and letting it build you up, strengthen you, letting it heal your body. And the next verse he says, But let a man examine himself, so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner or an unfit manner drinks judgment to himself And how do you be unworthy or unfit? By not discerning the Lord's body. What does that mean? It means you're not recognizing the purpose for which he was sent. And he said, when when you don't discern the Lord's body, he says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many are asleep, meaning many are dead before their time, before when it was, when, when it was right. You should go, as, as Psalms 91 said, with long life he will satisfy you and show you his salvation. And so when we don't discern the Lord's body, it allows us to accept things we were never meant to carry. So how do we discern the Lord's body? I love Isaiah 53. It says, surely he has borne our griefs And I have no idea why they ever translated the word griefs because everywhere else in the Old Testament, that same Hebrew word is translated sickness. I think someone got to this verse and said, well, surely that can't be. 
What else could it be? Well, let's make it be grief. <laughs> That's not the word he used, though. He says, surely Jesus has borne our sickness and carried our sorrows. And again, this word is not ever translated sorrows anywhere else in the Old Testament. It's always translated pain. That's why it's good to get something like Blue Letter Bible and look at the words that are actually used because you have to understand the people that translated the Bible into our language weren't perfect. They had biases. They had religious hang-ups just as much as you do. And so you have to understand, he was not saying, Jesus has just borne our griefs and our sorrows. No, he took your sickness and he took your pain. And I like the word that he uses for pain here in the Hebrew. It says physical pain and mental pain. He didn't just heal your body. He wants to touch your mind. He wants to heal you at the very core of your being. The wounds that the world has tried to inflict on you, he restores them to life. And it says, yes, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our what, our what? Our peace. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but the work that he did go through brought peace to us. And by his stripes, we were healed. You have to understand, discerning the Lord's body, remember, when you take it, you remember how much he's healed you how much his body was broken so that yours didn't have to be. How else do we discern the Lord's body? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, 13 says this, But now Christ Jesus, who was once were afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law and the commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one man from the two, thus making, what's the last word? Peace. He, so many different ways he's just woven it so that you can be in peace. What a shame for us to, to let it turn in to the fear that the world tries to place on us. It says he took two and made them one. So what does that mean? I have to ask the question, is Jesus sick? And if the two have been made one, why would we accept it any more than he? As John said, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Not as we're going to be, as we are right now. So when we take communion this morning, I want you to remember, he was broken so that you don't have to be. And when I take of his body and I take of his blood, I just let it heal my body in every way. I let it flow into my situations. I let the blood of Jesus surround me and protect me as I go forth. So Christopher, why don't you play some music for us this morning? And we've got it set up on the two wings this morning. So this side, come on to this side and filter back. And this side, go this way and filter back. And come and grab your elements. And then we'll partake together as a church family.
I think they're good, Garnet. Toph, did you get some? Hey, Mitch, can you grab Toph some? You know, we've got a little wafer here this morning and some juice, but you know that you can take this every day, multiple times a day, using whatever you want. You know that Jesus didn't have a little wafer and some juice. He probably had some bread and some wine. You know, uh, one time I was like, I felt, you know, I need to take communion this morning. And I opened up my fridge and all I had was a saltine cracker and some prune juice. Like, well, that'll be it. I poured it in. I gave some cups to the boys and they went, what is that? This represents the body of Jesus. It's already been broken for you. This is the blood of Jesus that signed the covenant that we live in today. He used his blood and not yours because he doesn't fail. And so it stands true today just as much as the day that he signed it on the cross. And so, Father, we thank you for your body. And right now, we, we partake of your broken body, and we know that it speaks health to all our faculties. And so we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's partake. And it says, in the same way, he took the cup, the cup of the new covenant. This is his blood that was shed for you. Let's partake together. Hallelujah. Yes, Toph, let's sing, come on. Yes, your goodness is running after, running after me. Yes, it is alone, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now, I give you everything, your goodness is running what the days ahead of us are going to look like in the world around us but whatever it is work from a place of peace be a good example to those around you I don't know how many different Christians I've already seen pastors saying if I close my doors this week we won't survive that's come on God is still your provider your protector so as fear grips people, let's be a light. 
To those of you watching us via the internet today, you don't have to be afraid. If you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, now's the time to do it. Let His blood wash over you. Let it become your protection in this time. And we would love to pray with you right now. Come on, church. Father, right now I receive Jesus. I believe that He died for me and that you rose Him from the dead. And right now I receive Him and I thank you that today is a new day. If you prayed that prayer with us this morning, I would like you to get in contact with us. And these days ahead, let Jesus be your anchor. You guys are all blessed. Let's have some coffee and some good conversations. <laughs>